0: Amen. Good morning, church, as you come together to gather together in your homes, online with us, on your iPad, on your television, on your phone. We are grateful and thankful that you are with us this morning as we get to open God's Word together. And uh, what a day it is. I do want you to know that we are working on a plan to reopen. If it's the Lord's will, um, the, these things can change day to day as we have seen throughout this time, but we are glad to be with you online this morning and hear a word from the Lord from Ephesians chapter 5. This morning's sermon I entitled, God's Got a Hold of Me, because the reality is either your life is all about Christ and God's got a hold of you, or your walk looks drastically different than that of Christ. Remember, we're in our series, Gospel in Life, in the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters are all about the gospel, God's design for us, that he redeemed us, that he chose us, that he saved us, that he washed us, that he made us clean, that he has given us as the church, the holy people of God, for his possession. And now we move into the life portion, the gospel in life in chapter four through six, as we outline what our response is for Christ's salvation, God's salvation through Jesus Christ. And he begins this portion in chapter four. got to go back to where we are in chapter four, verse one. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. And then he tells us not to walk as the Gentiles do, but put on the new self created in Christ Jesus in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Then he tells us to walk in love, not sexual immorality or a counterfeit love. And he tells us to walk as light, not as darkness. And then he begins this section again, starting in verse 15, being careful how you walk. Let me ask you this morning this question. Are you careful of how you walk in your life? Does your life matter? for Christ and the things of God? Does your life count for the kingdom of God? Let's read in Ephesians chapter five. We'll begin in verse 15. As we read together, we can stand in reading of God's word. I'm reading from the ESV version, but you can see it on your screen there. Ephesians chapter five, verse 15. It says this. To the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord, Ephesians chapter 5, 15 through 21. You can be seated as we pray together in your homes where you are. Let us invite the Spirit of God into his church the people of God. Father, we ask, um, Father, that you would speak to us through your word directly into our hearts. Lord, you know that we need encouragement today as your church. You, you know, Lord, that we want to see each other's faces and yet, Father, we know that we are not a building, but we are the people of God. And Father, you are building Your people, your church, into a temple in which your presence dwells. And Father, may we be filled with the Spirit in our life. May we not waste our time, but may we be, may we do the will of God that you have for us. May we understand it and accomplish that together as a church, as Northwest Baptist. Lord, we thank you for all of those that are gathered all around the metro, even all around the world. And we ask you that, they, that you would encourage us this morning, that you are with us, that your presence lives within your church, the people of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Some of us, Need to laugh a little bit during this time and I understand that and uh, so this is the best I got so if you're laughing at home, we appreciate that. We appreciate your likes and your laughs as well but our first time getting a new dog, a new puppy was pretty intense. Um, The process of finding the right dog can be taxing Uh, You have lots of things to consider. What kind of dog do you want? How big of a dog do you want? Who's going to train it? Who's going to feed it? Right? All of these, these considerations for finding this dog. And then there are all these websites and all these different places to find or adopt a pet, a dog, uh and, and some of these things it the problem is not finding them but, but actually getting them and, and and me and my wife really my wife uh had multiple attempts of finding a dog and we find this picture of online dogs and we failed multiple times, but we we found this one picture of this dog. His name was Bear, you can see him on the screen, and of course we, we we say yes, he's our guy. That's right. He it, it says up there a schnauzer mix. Uh, just to let you know, uh, he's he's about sixty seventy pounds now, so he was not a schnauzer mix. But mom and Avery really wanted this dog, and uh, Trip and I were like, what's what's on television tonight? When's the next game on? We're not, you know how that goes. But anyway, so we call the shelter in Oklahoma City and, the, and we ask them, is Bear uh, there? And they say, Bear is going to be adopted tomorrow. We open at 11 a.m., but it's first come, first serve, so you better be there early. And um, <clears throat> And we asked the question, "What time should should you be there?" And they and they said, "Well, you better be there early." With that kind of picture uh, of that dog, and uh, at that time we lived an hour and away, uh, an hour and a half from the city, and um, so. Jordan says, if I leave there by seven, I'll be there at 8.30 and we might get, them, get him. We'll be two and a half hours early for this dog. We'll wait two and a half hours outside in a parking lot waiting for this dog. So it's Jordan says, I'll, I'll wake up early and you, you and the kids can meet me later. Um, and as I'm going to bed, I'm realizing all of the hurts and failures that we've had in trying to get this dog and realizing that, If we are going to get this dog, we need to be all in or we're going to have to live with the result of not being able to obtain the goal. So I asked the question, how sad, Jordan, are you going to be if we don't get Bear? Safe to say a little bit more discussion. I was out the door before 5 a.m., six hours before the place opens to get in line for this dog. So I arrive at the shelter four and a half hours early, worried out of my mind that I am going to be there after someone else is, and I pull into the parking lot, and I'm the only one there. Literally 10 minutes after I get there, a young girl pulls into the parking lot. She stares me down, and then she begins hitting the steering wheel and banging her head. And she gets out of the car and begins to walk towards what I think the door, and I'm about to open my door and walk out, and do I need to get in front of the the line four and a half hours before we, we open, or what's going to happen? But she wants to come and talk to me, and she asks me, are you here for Bear? And I said, yes, I am. And she mopes back into her car and drives away. Then about 30, 30 minutes later, a lady pulls up and she does the same thing. She, she kinda gets a little nervous. You can tell she's nervous in her car. And, and she, she begins hitting the steering wheel and she rolls down her w- window and says, are you here for Fluffmaster? Yes, Fluffmaster is the cat that she was adopting at the time. I took a picture of Fluffmaster at the time. And uh, at this point, I'm realizing this, this whole thing is pretty intense. Then, then a young couple arrives about 7.30, about the time, uh, this is before the time we would have originally been there, a young couple, might have been you, might have been somebody here watching this, this thing. And they roll up and they park, um, There's two or three cars in the parking lot. They they roll up, and I can see the wife starting to get a little bit flustered. And I can see that there's talking back and forth between the husband and the wife, and the, the, the husband gets out of the car. It's a young couple. He gets out of the car, and he comes over to me, and he says, are you here for Bear? And... I said, yes, I'm so sorry. And he gets back in his car and his wife begins to cry. And I can see this happening out of the corner of my eye. I'm trying not to look at them, right? And they're beginning to cry. The wife is beginning to do some of this in the the thing and the husband gets out of the car and he rolls down, I roll down the window again and he says, I'll give you $100 for your place in line. And I said, Man, I'm sorry. I've got a wife and kids. I didn't, if I don't come home with this dog, they may not talk to me for 72 hours, so I have to do this. And uh, he gets back in the car and, anyway, gets an ear fill from his wife. But I say all this to say that Paul encourages the church to not be the people that say, Oh, at some point, I'll live my life for Christ. No, either you're all in with your time or you're not. If you're halfway, you're probably not living your life for Christ. And you're probably not walking in wisdom, making the best usage of your time. It's like the parable Jesus tells of the bridesmaids waiting on the groom for the wedding. Five were ready and wise, five were not ready and unwise, squandering their time only to miss the party completely, miss the feast. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Is. Time goes by quickly, and Paul wants to remind us here, church, be careful how you use it. Ephesians chapter five, verse 15 says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. This is our first point this morning. It is this, look carefully how you live. Look carefully. Carefully, how you live. You see, the, the Greek word here for look is to see. He's using this darkness and light imagery that is used previously. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. The image here is that you are in a fog and you can't see, yet the light of Christ is now shining on you, cutting through that fog. And now it's light. You can see. But that doesn't mean that you stop paying attention to where you are walking. Church, just because Christ's light is shining on us doesn't make us exempt from falling or failing to walk in wisdom. If knowledge is understanding, that there is a stop sign in front of you. Wisdom is application, or putting on the brakes. It is the application of knowledge, that is wisdom. It's good for us to know the gospel deeply in our souls, in our hearts, in our minds. You understand Christ has given up his life for you and your sin. He has given you a new life and now you are to apply that wisdom into your life. You are to apply the knowledge of the gospel into every single area of your life. You see, Christ has given his life so that you too can give to your brother or sister in need. You see, the gospel was proclaimed by the life of Christ so that you can proclaim it to others. You see, God showed his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us so that we can show that kind of love to people who have sinned against us. You see, Psalm 14, one says this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Making the best use of the time, not being unwise, because the days are evil. The best use of the time, literally in the Greek, means to redeem the time. He tells us why. Because the days are evil. I think we can all concur that this verse probably means a bit more to us than it did a few weeks ago. James 4, 13 and 14 says this, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We have a set time on this earth That's what Paul is saying here. Make the best use of the time. The set time in which God has designed for you to live according to his will as the church, the people of God, knowing that Christ has saved you, he has redeemed you, he has given you a new life. And we must redeem this time because we live in a wicked and corrupt earth. What then will they say about you when they look back at your life? Will they say he watched every Netflix movie known to man? Will they say he worked hard, had enough money to retire on? and spent his last days picking seashells up on the seashore or will they say he made an impact in the kingdom of God he gave his life to people who needed the word of God and the gospel of Christ will they say He encouraged brothers and sisters to live their lives sold out for Christ. Well, they say he gave everything that he had for the glory of God. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Walk in wisdom, applying the truths of the word of God into your life, seizing the moment and the opportunity for God's glory through your life. We have a unique opportunity that God has given us at Northwest Baptist through this crisis, through all these things that have happened, through what we see in our world today, there is an opening for the gospel to go forth We can emerge from this crisis as a church in which nothing changes. We return to our life to nine to five summer vacation and Friday night movies. Or we can be people who are on mission for Christ with one goal, that is to proclaim the gospel through our life into the life of others, living our life for something greater than ourselves. I choose that one. Verse 17 says this, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is our second point this morning. Understand the will of God. Understand the will of God. What is the will of God? Is it for you to just be running in every direction? So busy with programs and projects just, keep, just to keep working in your own power. Trying to run ahead of God only to realize that you're for, further behind in his work. You see, when our priorities line up with God's priorities. He is free to work in and through us. When we function apart from the will of God, we are left frustrated, ineffective, quarrelsome, and weak. I'm speaking of the church now. So what is the will of God? Jesus declares the will of God first is to repent and believe. He tells the elders and priests a parable about two sons whose father asked him to go to work in the vineyard. One said, no way. And later on he goes and he works the vineyard. The other says, sure, I will, and does nothing. Jesus asked the question, which one does the will of the Father? Jesus said, the tax collectors and sinners, those are the ones who change their mind and believe. May we be people who repent and believe, first and foremost, as the will of God for us to be saved for us to continually changing our minds away from the world and running after in faith after Christ. Romans 12.1 gives us another way that we can know the will. It's to live our life for the glory of God, desiring to know the will of God through his word. Romans 12.1 says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The renewal of our minds through the word of God. God's word also tells us that the will of God for us is to be thankful. Paul will use this throughout this letter in Ephesians, this theme of thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Another way to understand and to know the will of God, God's word tells us the will of God for us is to be pure unto God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, your, your growth in Christ, that you may abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor moving towards Christ in holiness. Jesus is the great example for us of someone who lived to do the will of God. He lived to do not only do the will of God, to work on behalf of the Father. Jesus said to them in John four thirty four, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So we live in response to the gospel according to the will of God. 1 Peter 4 1 is the last word that I'll give you this morning, but it says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live. For the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Live for the will of God. God refines us through even suffering to be able to live for the will of God. We see Christ and the gospel allowing us to live for the will of God because Jesus lived for the will of God and God sends us the Holy Spirit to be able to live for the will of God. And this is what Paul says here. He says in verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit. So what is the will of God? To be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now it's interesting, in the Greek the imperative is to be filled with the spirit there in verse 18. And the rest of these four things are participles. Meaning this is what it looks like for someone to be filled with the spirit. This may be the means in which someone is filled with the Spirit. It may be the response of being filled with the Spirit. So addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, giving thanks always, singing and making melody to the Lord, and submitting to one another in reverence for Christ, these are describing the being filled of the Holy Spirit. It's not One imperative. The imperative in the Greek, the command is be filled. The rest of these, following all the way through the section, are the participles that describe the being filled. This is our third point this morning be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. The gift that God gives to his church, to the people of God in the new covenant is the indwelling presence of God's spirit, the Holy Spirit. Paul uses this negative contrast to introduce the idea of being filled with the spirit. Same with light and dark, wisdom and foolishness. He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery or recklessness. It's a thought here that you are drowning in your sensual pleasures, the pleasures of this world. Think about the prodigal son taking whatever feels right to satisfy the flesh at the time. You're controlled by these desires of the flesh, that's incorporative of drunkenness, control, or lack thereof. Why do people get drunk? Well, one of the reasons is they, they want to feel joy, or a temporary joy. It's, it's, a, it's a fake joy. Or they want to be at peace, or, or numb themselves from their problems. Again, these are fake yearnings for the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is joy and peace. And they are never able to obtain it. It is one of Satan's ways, it's a fraud and fake imitation of the real thing which is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Why don't so many people want to be drunk? Because it's a fake imitation of the real thing of being filled with the Spirit, controlled by God, filled with joy, because the presence of God is with you. Peace in every situation because you are no longer in control and you're reliant upon God himself. I want you to see something that will help you understand this concept of being filled with the spirit. References back to chapter two. Turn with me a couple pages back to chapter two, verse 21. Talking about Christ being the cornerstone, he says in 21, in: 221 of Ephesians, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He's talking about the church. The people of God are now being built into a temple, into a holy temple, into the Lord, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit of God. The temple is no longer a physical location. The temple is now the spirit of God. But I want you to see this picture that Paul is producing about filling, being filled by the spirit of God by seeing us as the temple of God, his church, the people of God as the temple of God. And where does God fill his temple? Well, throughout the Old Testament, this is what happened. Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. Moses has set up the tabernacle according to God's design. And this is what God did when he filled the tabernacle. This is what it says. Then the, Lord, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of God filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Imagine the glory of God filling the tabernacle. The second temple built by Solomon, the first temple built by Solomon in Second Chronicles 7-1, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. The Spirit of God filling his temple. And now who is the temple? It is the church, the people of God. As Paul writes here, A place where God fills. And we see the glory of God. Isaiah 6-1. Isaiah pictures this throne room. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up and the train of his robe, filled the temple. Ezekiel talking about the future glory of God in in which we will worship him. The glory of the Lord entered the temple by the, the gate facing east. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The glory of God filling his temple. Now, something happens in Ezekiel in which the glory of the Lord leaves his temple. And we do not see it returning. But in Acts chapter two, something happens at Pentecost in which tongues of fire come down from heaven and are on the apostles, the church, the people of God as the spirit fills them to be able to proclaim the gospel it's representation of now the spirit of god filling his people his church god revealing his glory through his church So when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, God himself having free reign to move and to reveal himself through you, the people of God and his church. So what happens if we set up idolatry in this temple? Is God free to reign? Is he free to move? Is he free to show his glory amongst the nations? Four ways he shows us how we can see God be be filling by his Spirit. First one he says, addressing, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The word here, addressing, is actually speaking. The same word that was spoke songs by Moses who spoke songs, or David who spoke his song, or Deborah who spoke her song. These are songs of praise. And, and what does he say? Psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. These, these represent a variety of forms of worship. Not just one, but praises to our God. You see, psalms was rooted in the, the Jewish tradition with David who writes these psalms. That they sing of praise to our God. Well, hymns were actually in the Greek tradition. These poetic ascriptions of praise and these songs, this word that's used for songs, were ascribed to both Greek and Jew. They use these different forms. Paul wants them to understand that different forms of worship are good in in the household of God, in God's church, amongst his people, declaring different ways in which we extol God. And he says these songs should be spiritual. The Spirit is actively working in and through the writers of these songs, creating these songs in which people, the church, the people of God, will worship God. Thus, corporate worship is one way the Spirit fills and strengthens God's people. Glorifying Christ through the gospel in song. The spirit is allowed to move and work. The next part, singing with your heart. So, so before we move to the next part, what does that say about us who do not sing? Where is our heart If the Spirit is able to move in rejoicing in the praise of our God, what does it say about us who say, I do not sing? Number two, singing with your heart. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You see, this song or this praise is not some show or some chore to be sung, but explodes with the heart of worship, making melodies or music burst forth in the result of being filled with the Spirit. We're singing from our hearts, our desires of our heart, in, in, in wanting and yielding to God Himself. We are created to worship him in spirit and in truth, and that flows from the new heart in which he's given to us. Describes that being filled of the spirit is not some show, but it is of the heart. Number three giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 20. This book is saturated with a thought of giving thanks as a response to the gospel, as a response to God himself who is worthy of our praise. Basically, thus far, Paul has said, you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Sing. You wanna be filled with the Holy Spirit? Sing from your heart song. You wanna be filled with the Holy Spirit? Thank God for everything that he has given to you. Revelation eleven sixteen 16 presents this picture beautifully. And the 24 elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. Saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. We're worshipers. You want to be a spirit filled Christian? Be a worshiper of the King who reigns. The last one, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And some people put this with the next section, which is wives submitting to their own husbands. But this goes directly with being filled with the Holy Spirit because it is a participle describing the being filled of the Holy Spirit. It is not with the wives submit to your own husbands. It has relationship to that, but it does not directly go there. The submitting to one another is describing Ephesians chapter four, verse three. Excuse me, Ephesians four, two. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So this maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace is through humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another. That is submission to one another. Being patient, showing humility, gentleness, bearing with one another in love, to serve one another, to look out for the interests of others above your own interests. It's interesting here, that we're not just to submit to our leaders, we are to submit to all, to one another, to the church, the people of God. Our opinions become less, Christ's opinions become greater. So we see this connection here with the gathering together in corporate worship as the church connected to the filling of the Spirit. Addressing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with our hearts. Giving thanks for everything. And submission to one another. The corporate body of Christ coming together. So... Our relationship with God is is not just with us and with God. Yes, there is an aspect of our salvation is with God alone, with us alone. And yet there's this aspect of the corporate body of Christ, the church, Gathering together to be the temple of God in which the spirit of Christ dwells. The spirit of God, the Holy Spirit dwells. Can you be filled with the Holy Spirit apart from submission to one another? Can you be filled apart from addressing people with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I I think it's best described here in 2 Chronicles 5, 13. As they show what it looks like for the church to praise this God and him to come and move in presence and might power amongst his people, says 2 Chronicles 5.13, and it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison and praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in the praise to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures. That's what they sang. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Pray for that often for us at Northwest Baptists that the glory of the Lord would fill his people that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit that God would use them for his purposes for his will for his plans You may be saying out there this this morning man this is a lot rob you, you're you're telling me there's something more to the christian life yeah god wants to use you he wants to work in and through you by the power of his spirit but how can we do that if we're not yielded to god if our heart is not filled with thanksgiving unto the Lord God Almighty. How can he do that if we are filled with idolatry, sexual immorality, greed, selfishness? How can he fill our lives? How can he move and walk in his presence? in us and through us. We must repent. We must find grace that is found in the gospel alone. This morning, would you join me in prayer as we, as a church, corporately pray and ask God to move amongst his people that we would cast off every sin that easily entangles us as a corporate body. That means you individually. That we would speak psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That we would sing with our hearts we would give thanks for everything, that we would submit to one another out of fear for Christ, out of reverence for Christ. Let us be a spirit-filled church.